Good afternoon, Redstone Arsenal community. My name is Jeronica Frierson, and I am the Domestic Violence Victim Advocate with Army Community Service. Today we are here with Addie Wagner, and I'll let Addie introduce herself. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm Addie Wagner. I'm the Development Manager for Crisis Services of North Alabama. And how long have you been with Crisis Services, Addie? I've been with the agency for going on five years. I started as a volunteer. I also worked on the 211 information referral line and was the sexual assault prevention educator for about three years prior to moving into the development role about a year ago. All right. Super excited to have Addie. She has done so much and definitely a jewel within the community for sure and absolutely an awesome resource. So I'm really happy to have you here today. So we are going to be talking about the impact of domestic violence. And what I really want for the community, what my hope is for the community, for our listeners to get out of this is the idea that domestic violence impacts us all, whether we are directly involved or we are bystanders, the reach, the consequence of domestic violence impacts us all. And so what we can do is be educated and informed and be willing to empathize with victims who or individuals who are having to deal with domestic violence in their home and in their life. And so I am hopeful. I want, I know this is a difficult topic. It's not something that, you know, anyone wants to talk about necessarily. It's, you know, not shop talk, but it's very, very necessary because the unwillingness to bring it to the forefront is what also enables abusers. So mm-hmm. I'm hopeful we're going to have a very candid conversation. And of course, before we end things, I definitely want to provide resource contact information for anyone who has like any questions or concerns moving forward. So to sort of start out talking about domestic violence, like let's let's just define it. We all have, you know, various working definitions, but when you think about it, Addie, like how do you define it for you, for you? Like that's the best question. That the that's the million dollar question. I define domestic violence or intimate partner violence as any behavior used to exert control or power over another person through intimidation, threats, harassment, be it physical violence, emotional violence, financial abuse, or the like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so when I think of it, to piggyback off of what what you're saying, great definition. Do you have a voice, right? Do you have a say Mm -hmm. in how you want your life to look day to day? Do you feel empowered? Do you feel like your feelings matter, right? Do you hesitate to voice your opinion mm-hmm. out of fear of for your safety, right? And so I think one of the things that we hear a lot, particularly when it falls outside of the physical abuse realm, is that's just how someone is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so as if to imply that they can't or they're incapable of doing or being better, right? So we we sort of acclimate to that behavior 
and not really recognizing that is abuse, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we think about it, so we know, or we assume we know what physical abuse looks like, but I think it's also important because how many people do we know or how many clients have we encountered that have been victims of domestic violence, but their abuser was very intentional about where they, you know, physically attack them, right? Mm -hmm. Makeup does wonders. It's true. Right? Makeup makeup works wonders. Layers in terms of clothing. Not everyone bruises or, you know, in terms of impact the same way. So I think it's really important as we're talking about domestic violence, I really want everyone to be willing to sort of think outside the box in a way or, or maybe just expand mm-hmm. what you think domestic violence looks like, especially as it pertains to who can be a victim and who can be an abuser. Addie, you mentioned a couple types of abuse. So we have the physical abuse, familiar, financial abuse. How much authority do you have over your own finances? Not just authority, but how much access Mm -hmm. do you have as it pertains to financial resources? If you needed something or wanted something, are you needing to ask for permission or whatnot, or is something withheld, a resource withheld from you if you don't do something that that person wants you to do, right? How about, so verbal? Yes. Verbal is, is another huge one. And I think verbal and emotional, I think they get downplayed. Oh, yeah. A oh, lot absolutely. In terms of how serious that mm-hmm. is. And so, like, what has your experience been? Well, when we talk about the different types, of course, like you said, most people think of the the physical aspect, but the foundation of a toxic, abusive, unhealthy relationship mm-hmm. is built on the psychological and yes. mental abuse aspects, as well as the financial. Like you just, you described a lot of facets of financial abuse, but there's more that we may not think of, mm-hmm. such as withholding the ability to attend classes so that the person can pursue a better life Yes, or making them late to work often. So Mm -hmm. they get fired or perhaps they wake them up in the middle of the night. So then they're tired the next day. And if you work at some of the manufacturing plants or something local, Mm -hmm. being tired for your 12 hour shift is a serious health concern and a safety risk. Absolutely. So it's any of those behaviors that an abuser uses to control their victim Mm -hmm. so that they are tired. They are thinking of other things rather than the abuse that they're suffering. And, And that's where that emotional and psychological foundation comes into play. We've heard a lot about gaslighting and Mm -hmm. love bombing. And it's kind of psychological warfare and it's used to undermine the person's sense of self, their sense of self-efficacy, their self-esteem, like you and I talked about. And it's, it's methods of causing the victim survivor to question themselves so that they're not questioning the abuse or the abuser. Yes. Perfect. Right. Literally you hit the nail on the head because I think we forget about that. Right. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned manufacturing jobs or just a lot of people have very stringent 
work policies, mm-hmm. right? So you only have so many times to be late and that's an automatic, right? Mm-hmm. So what are we doing to, what is that person doing to limit your ability to remain independent or limit your options, right? So if you were to see the light of day and to recognize what is happening, that you have a choice. But when you are unemployed or underemployed Mm -hmm. or you don't have necessarily access, then you, in essence, feel stuck, right? Mm -hmm. You're dependent. You're very, very, very dependent. You're absolutely right in terms of building that foundation that the buildup to physical violence is definitely getting into that person's head, right? So if you have basically changed or altered the way that I think about myself or my capabilities, right? Then I am so dependent on you for validation and to be affirmed Mm -hmm. that I'm almost chasing it. In that, Two is the isolation piece because I've more than likely disconnected Mm -hmm. from my external support system. So whether family or friends who would offer or would have some perspective that doesn't necessarily suit the abuser. Right. So definitely, you know, when we think about our relationships and even how we what we see in a relationship. Right. It's never too early to do correction, Mm -hmm. right? To be willing to set a boundary, to say, you know, so I hear you, your point is valid, but this makes me feel, or Mm -hmm. I don't appreciate, right? Set set that boundary and that person's willingness to respect a boundary that's being set is can be telling. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, of course, you mentioned love bombing. What happens when, you know, you are just almost overwhelmed by affection and, and gifts? It's the almost too good to be true. Oh, yeah. Right. And don't don't get me wrong there. <laughs> healthy love is amazing. Right. And yeah. it can feel like it's almost too good to be true. But there's balance. Right. So when we talk about love bombing, there's that lack of of balance right Right. and almost you owe me right you owe me like look like all this that I've done for you how I feel about you you owe me and you owe me with you know sacrificing your your time your autonomy your relation external relationships you know no one's gonna love you the way that I love you you. nobody's gonna put up with you like I do absolutely Mm -hmm. all of that and it follows that cycle of abuse that we've the the model that we've come to know is a little bit outdated Mm -hmm. and I think it's important for us to have that conversation especially as we are going into domestic violence awareness month which is October is that intimate partner violence follows a cycle it does and there's a precipitating event there's a period of building conflict Mm -hmm. that results in an incident whether it be a physical incident or a verbal or or punching a wall Mm -hmm. maybe they haven't quite moved into physically hurting their victim and then after the incident is 
the reconciliation. Yes. It's not a honeymoon period. Right. And I think we really need to make sure that we talk about this every time yeah. because we got to move away from that language. Absolutely. There's nothing honeymoon about it. Nope. There isn't that actual unconditional love right. for this other person. It's the love bombing. It's mm -hmm. bringing flowers. It's Oh, you look so pretty today. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I'm I'm so sorry I did that. I mm -hmm. you just make me so mad. Yep. And then we enter a quote unquote period of calm, but mm -hmm. it's never really calm. Nope. Because the level of calm in an abusive household is is a solid five on a right. scale of one to ten. Everybody's walking on eggshells, waiting mm -hmm. for the next incident. Yep. Waiting for the other drop. shoe to drop. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. even with the reconciliation phase, I think it's important to even think about what that looks like, because a lot of times that's where you find that lack of accountability. Mm -hmm. So what you made me do or, you know, I, I don't want to do those mm -hmm. things or actually we're over it. Right. So we're just we're just going to glaze over mm -hmm. the incident that happened, you know, we, I love you, you know, we're going to stay together, no apology, right? And, and even apology is moot without some type of actionable step, right? So that's something that comes up a lot. Can individuals change, right? Can abusers change? I struggle. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I do. I, I struggle. I struggle with that at times, right? It's especially since, and of course, this is someone I've been a social worker for 14 years at this point. So in nine in this position, so, so seen a lot, right? Yeah. But what I will say and what I, I do wholeheartedly believe is that change is absolutely possible, but there has to be a level of accountability mm -hmm. that is independent of anything or anyone else. We let go of the idea that the person, the person, the victim had played a role in your behavior. We even are willing to let go of our own past experiences, not that it wasn't influenced, influenced by it in some way, but we take accountability for our present day actions mm -hmm. and not use that sort of as a, you know, blanket for for our 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 behavior right so we want to we we want to understand it to the extent that we come up with a, a plan to guide how you're going to change the behavior but it's not an excuse right or a pass that comes up a lot well, and you were just talking about boundaries as well and it made me think of my own work with my therapist mm -hmm. and he he likes to tell me if if it's not a strong boundary, mm -hmm. it won't get resistance. Yeah, and that's often the case, especially yeah. in in a toxic relationship or an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, that pushback is going to come yes. from somebody who doesn't respect your boundaries, yep. and it's an unfortunate reality. But exerting those boundaries and asserting those boundaries over and over again, that kind of sets the stage for changed behavior. Yep. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And I even, for myself and, and, and what I really truly believe in, when we talk about boundaries, a lot of times we talk about it in the context of setting them with other people. But I really believe mm -hmm. that we first have to set boundaries with ourselves, mm -hmm. right? 
So for instance, an offender, right? An abuser have to make a decision about what's completely off the table when it comes to responses, mm-hmm. right? And so this is this may have been my go-to, but if I am saying that I want to change and I'm truly taking accountability for my actions, right? I set those boundaries with myself. I hold myself accountable to finding other options, other ways to deal with my frustration, my anger, my what, whatever emotion, right? Mm-hmm. So I seek out effective coping strategies, right? And then on the flip side of that too, right? Someone who um, is experiencing domestic violence, but I think this this applies in a, whether there's domestic violence in a relationship or not, but being willing to set some boundaries for yourself in terms of what do I, what am I willing to put up with, right? What do I value mm-hmm. in a relationship? What do I require? What are my standards? Mm-hmm. And in healthy relationships, you can have boundaries and standards yes. and requirements, right? And so, and when that is not respected, that should also be something that we really think about and really try to work through to determine do we proceed, you know, with with this or in this in this relationship, mm-hmm. right? Because respect for autonomy is definitely essential. And I think before we move into any other questions, it's important to distinguish here that seeking those boundaries and establishing those boundaries within the context of a therapeutic session with mm-hmm. professionals who can mm-hmm. help monitor behavior yes. is better than if you are in a severely abusive relationship you know, don't try this Absolutely. at home yep. until you have someone else to help look out for these behaviors and, and have a system of checks and balances mm-hmm. and accountability in place. So I just I wanted to make yep. sure that that's included. Like, don't just yes. go ahead and assert a boundary in a really mm-hmm. abusive relationship because that. So isn't... that's a safety issue. Right? right. So that's that's definitely so very, very good point. That is anytime you you seek change. And you. As a someone who is experiencing domestic violence and you seek independence or you seek seek change, mm-hmm. um, even safety, mm-hmm. we recognize and we just we do have to acknowledge that that creates um, that that makes a dangerous situation even more dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so as we're as we are discussing different ways of approaches and understanding, Know that strategy is everything. Yes. Right. And even strategy with a sense of urgency. And that's why it's it's very important, imperative to identify like who who are your helpers? Mm-hmm. Who are what are your resources to formally guide you through this process of change? Totally agree. We definitely we want to start the conversations, but mm-hmm. we also want you to be willing to either identify and or be a safe person, help someone create a safe space Mm -hmm. within the appropriate context, and then also seek out professional help. So always. A safety plan. A safety. (laughs) Yep. Good old, like, 
good old safety plan, but very valid. Oh, yeah. Very valid, very necessary. And I think just since you brought up safety plans, even even with that, right, because one of the things we wanted to talk about in terms of bystanders and how you can how you can help being willing to be a true confidant. One thing that is really important, and I think maybe we'll just we'll kind of segue into that if it's okay. In terms of bystanders, there are definitely things you can do to help, but there are a lot of things that people do, individuals do that hurt yes, the situation. Let's, you know, kind of put a couple of things out there. One, I think it's important that you can't, I think we, you know, at some point in time we've read or, you know, seen on the news where an individual was a bystander, innocent, and got hurt, sometimes even fatally, trying to intervene. Mm-hmm. And whether it was a good Samaritan or, you know, a family member, a casualty in that way, we definitely want to acknowledge the need and your your right to be mindful of your personal safety, your family safety first. Yes. Right. Like not wanting to put yourself or overextend yourself in any way. But being a, a, a bystander or being a helpful bystander does not even mean necessarily getting directly or physically involved in that way. Let's talk about maybe first unhelpful things <laughs> that individuals tend to do. Like what what are some things that maybe you've seen? First and foremost, the most unhelpful thing we can do is blame the person for yes. the abuse. Yeah. What we know about leaving an abuser is that leaving for good is the most dangerous time. Yes. Upwards of 76% of domestic violence homicides occur when the victim mm-hmm. leaves for good. Yes. And a victim leaves on average of seven times before yeah. they leave for good because an abuser views their victim as property. Mm-hmm. It's a possession. Yep. It's something to own, like you own a car or your shoes, mm-hmm. not a human being who thinks and feels. Yep. So there's that dehumanizing aspect. When we look at helpful behaviors, the number one thing is to believe that person, mm-hmm. thank them for coming to you. Yeah. And kind of what we know also is that oftentimes people don't talk about it. They don't disclose to people. They isolate. Mm-hmm. And just being a safe person is is fairly easy in that regard of just hold your judgments. Yeah. <laughs> Identify that or or be able to understand that this could be a volatile situation or a dangerous situation. And the best that you could do for that day is maybe just listen, Mm -hmm. be there for that person. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's, hey, let's meet at the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a new art project I want you to look at. Or do you want to start a book club? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, our kids go to school together. You want to take them to the soccer game? Yep. Absolutely. Any of those things that establish you as a kind person who may not challenge the abuse or the abuser outright, Mm -hmm. but that helps be part of that safety plan, part of that network of safety of, you know, this person did take me to coffee and took me to the soccer game with my kids so I know I can call them if an emergency occurs. If we're able to recognize our own internal biases and our own judgments yes. and put them on hold for just a minute to 
be an active listener, that can be kind of a make it or break it moment. Absolutely. And as far as just bystanders out in the world, as we're walking down the sidewalk, the number one thing for us is recognizing that a situation is potentially dangerous or volatile Mm -hmm. and then acting in accordance of what we think is going to keep ourselves safe, like you said, as well as provide an intervention. Mm -hmm. And that could be calling the police if you feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel comfortable with that, that's, you know, that's a personal decision for everyone. Mm -hmm. But recognizing that what we know about domestic violence is that it's not separate from the community you live in. At all. We are always in a room with someone who survived or is currently surviving. Yes. Statistically speaking, it does affect everybody. Absolutely. It's not just you or your neighbor or, Mm -hmm. or somebody in the next room over. It affects us all. Yes. Not just from a social standpoint of our interactions as a society, Mm -hmm. but on a financial level. Yes. It has a huge impact on crime and funding Mm -hmm. rates for agencies that provide services. It's it's across the board. Absolutely. And we think about it in terms of when you you think about bystander impact and, and things not to do right. One of the things to sort of go along with just believing the victim is also in that non-judgment piece is being willing to see the victim's perspective and accept that the person that you know and how you experience them Mm -hmm. can absolutely be completely different from what the person that is being abused, how they experience them. And so that is that goes into that belief, right, that, oh, my gosh, he or she is such a good whatever they do. Mm-hmm. Right. There's such a good service member, coworker, pastor, parent, parent teacher, you know, friend, right? Such mm-hmm. a good friend. I could, you know, would do anything for for anyone. And even as it pertains to who can be an abuser and who can be a victim, all of us, all of us, of all the things in the world, domestic violence does not discriminate. Absolutely. It, it is not a respecter of person, places, things, education, finances, mm-hmm. nothing. There, There is literally... Not one person that, you know, is not susceptible to include, even as a helping professional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, coming into coming into the field, you know, so, so many years ago, having a very close idea of what a victim looked like, only to to work in it and and learn very quickly that any of us. Mm-hmm. You know, I can I'm sitting before you and even with all I know and what access and resources that I have, I don't take for granted that under the right set of circumstances, I, too, could be in need. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about to anyone that's listening, understand that one of the things that's really hard is that you question yourself. You find yourself questioning yourself and who you knew yourself to be, to be. Because how did I get myself into this situation? You didn't. Right. You didn't. 
right? You don't have to take responsibility for someone else's behavior. Yes. And for people, bystanders or, or support, that's super important. Let's not ask that question. Like, how, like, how why is this did you going stay? on? Like, why yeah. did you stay? Mm-hmm. When I think about, you know, the individuals who, who I've worked with that have left a violent home, the truth of the matter is it, it is even under the best circumstances, it still, it wasn't easy. It's nothing yeah. easy or smooth about the process, you know, even from a, in terms of support and not being judgmental. So many people have said like they they feel like they had to forfeit who mm-hmm. they knew to be their friends. Oh yeah, and there's some there's a lot of shame and yeah. guilt that comes along with that. Of why did I let this person isolate me from my friends yeah. or family? Why did I let them turn mm-hmm. my friends and family against me? And mm-hmm. then we don't they don't necessarily reach out because of that that guilt and that yeah. shame. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's hard to even imagine that those friends or family would posture themselves to to receive you. And so I think that's one thing that you know, if you're listening to us and you that has been your experience to be intentional about saying, you know, it's okay if you don't understand, right? But mm-hmm. being really intentional about saying I'm here for you. In the way that I can be, no matter what. Yeah. Right. So if we don't talk for a year, if we don't talk for six months, you know, just know you don't ever have to think twice about calling. Yes. Right. And just just that in and of itself, um, so that that person knows, you know, when they feel like they don't have anything or anybody, they can hold on to the fact that you said you assured them that. Regardless of what happened, mm-hmm. like you need me, please call. Don't don't lifeline. think twice about it. Be be that lifeline. You know, I I remember when I left, I got told, I told you so. Yep. And uh, yeah. you know, uh, m- from where I was sitting, it was an immediate shutdown on my Absolutely. part. Of I cannot speak to that person. Yes. I am to blame for what happened mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. and so for. So forth, I'm just, I am not going to bring this mm-hmm. up to this person because I cannot trust them. Yep. And it's just, and and guys, it's really, you know, think about when you've been in your, your most vulnerable state mm-hmm. and think about how difficult that is. And that's not even, you know, like, let's say it doesn't mean your safety was at risk, right? So, okay, something that some people understand is money. Yeah. So, like, let's say you had to ask someone for money, right? And you ended up, you know, you go to someone and the first thing they say to you is, well, what'd you do with with the money you had? And, you know, and they start critiquing Mm -hmm. every decision that you've made and, um, you know, giving you this this whole spiel, right? Chastising, basically. Right. And that person will shut down, right? And so I think it's it's just super important to be willing to really be intentional and cautious about how how you respond. Yeah, intentional. Yeah. I, I, yeah. 
that word gets used a lot, but I put a lot of stock in yeah. being intentional with our interactions with other people, especially mm -hmm. if we know they've experienced yeah. interpersonal violence of any yeah. sort mm -hmm. and allowing yourself to, to be that trusted person mm -hmm. um, intentionally. Yes. Yes. And so we've, we've talked about the bystander support. And so just a couple of other things as we segue into a, another portion of, of uh, domestic violence and or inter interpersonal violence, you'll see it both ways, is be mindful about the power of, of being desensitized mm -hmm. to things. We live in a viral culture, I guess we would say, when I think yeah. about like social media and things that we see that, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've seen like a video and a million and one likes, a million and one reposts. And all I can think about is how toxic that is. And oh, yeah. like, that's not funny. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's that at, like concerning, not funny. And so being mindful of what we, we take in and just all really being intentional about trying to seek healthy balance so that we understand for ourselves and that we recognize like what is okay and what's not. And just because it's generally accepted within doesn't mean your culture it's okay. doesn't mean that it's okay at all. And so we we see that a lot. Well, you know, maybe I grew up where I was exposed to, you know, my grandfather could right. hit my grandmother, right? But, you know, he took care of took care of our family. So, you know, still doesn't not okay. Well, a generational trauma uh, domestic violence is is one of the biggest forms of generational trauma it that gets is. passed down from generation to yes. generation and till it stops until someone with decides me, right it, that it like, ends here it literally it ends here so i don't care that i was made to believe that it was okay or that this was normal mm -hmm. or it can or it had not it can that it, you know oh every everybody has something going right. on no Nope, you you absolutely can say that even like should that be the case, not for me. Right. You know, not not for me. And and we also understand how hard that is, which and that's come up a lot too in working with clients when your support system can't understand mm -hmm. your decision to not accept it anymore. Mm -hmm. To decide like this is this is not, this is familiar, but just because something is familiar doesn't mean that I have to to stick with it. Sure. Right. Chaos can be familiar. Right. You can make a decision to go the other way, to mm -hmm. reroute. Just in thinking about that, things that bystanders or support persons shouldn't do is like recognize your own biases, mm -hmm. recognize the impact of culture and cultural norms. And I, I actually don't want to say norms, but well, I guess out because some of it really truly is just that cultural yeah. norms and also minimizing. So, you know, when you when you're talking to someone and you're trying to support someone, well, was it was it a slap? Like was it like open oh, hand? Oh my gosh, or like, yes. Or, you know, so did he hem you up or, you know, um strangle you? Or, you know, just put it, put his or her hand around your neck, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, pushed you. So 
pushed you but didn't hit you, right? You are entitled to your personal space and and safety as well. So all of it counts. Like there's no scale or spectrum or in terms of like severity, right or wrong. Right. And everybody's responses to an external triggers that is, you know, a domestic violence incident. Mm -hmm. It can be different based on their previous experiences. Mm -hmm. We know that reactions go outside of fight and flight, Mm -hmm. but there's also freeze and fawn. And someone, perhaps if they grew up with domestic violence Mm -hmm. in their home, they're much more likely to freeze or fawn or friend. Mm -hmm. And how they reacted to an incident isn't a reflection of their willingness to be in that relationship. Or their fear. Or their fear. Or complicity or anything, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that's another thing that we all can get it wrong Mm -hmm. is what a trauma response looks like. And so it is not what we see on television Mm -hmm. in any capacity. You Most people go into survival mode. And if survival mode looks like fawning, right, if survival mode looks like friendly and the outside looking in, you assume like, oh, well, they were so, they look so happy or, But their bodies are still being flooded with the same hormones and burst of cortisol and mm-hmm. adrenaline and actually creates a traumatic neural pathway yes, in the brain. Literally, right? Uh, yep. It is it, it, like Dr. Bessel van der Kolk says, trauma is felt, not remembered. Yes, absolutely. Right. So um, the body keeps the score. Yes. Right. Trauma, the body keeps the score. So even after the event mm-hmm. has passed, how your body experiences, how your brain processes not only what happened, but the triggers that accompany it. And how do I, what do I need to do to not just exist, but survive? Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? What do I need to do to survive? And that is even further complicated when you have other vulnerable people in the home, such as children. Yep. Right. And having to be very mindful of their safety, you know, as well and and their exposure. But I think it is so, so important that we be willing to accept and embrace the idea that trauma responses or responses just in general do not look the same. There's no there's no right or wrong way. Right. You know, so it's like, well, I couldn't, you would have never known. Well, that was the point. Exactly. And it's not our position as a a bystander or or a friend or family member, loved one, to judge somebody's response in a situation of Mm -hmm. trauma and terror. Nope. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think it's also important in the context of being a supportive person and an informed person to also take into consideration that someone's experience is valid, even if there are variables such as the presence of mental illness. Right. Right. So that does not negate someone's experience. 
their credibility in any capacity. Exactly. At all. As a matter of fact, I think we owe it to them to be even more intentional to try and understand, to make sure we're understanding what their needs and experiences are. Absolutely. Because that is that is definitely something that I've seen um, abusers use in terms of using the presence hmm. of mental illness against someone or to justify their behavior. And so that's definitely not okay. No. And by that same token, the presence of a mental illness or mental health concerns does not justify abusive behavior either. Right. Right. That accountability piece has to be there mm -hmm. without regard to extenuating factors. I want to go into, because we're nearing, nearing the end, but I definitely wanted to touch on marginalized communities because when it comes to interpersonal violence, domestic violence, we have to be intentional about how we view and how we support and even the willingness to acknowledge the presence or what domestic violence looks like. You know, all in all, it's, it's that accountability, right? And sort of closing things out, Addie, I want to give you an opportunity to just maybe give two or three takeaways. Like when you go into Domestic Violence Awareness Month, you know, we, we hit, we're going into October and it's like, you know, okay, that acceptable time of the year, like we acknowledge <laughs> it the whole year, we're working it the whole right. year round, right? But, you know, it's, it's that we recognize that there's always an opportunity to provide awareness. There's always an opportunity to educate and not just from our end, but, you know, our listeners always being willing to search and, you know, what's out there, right? What do I need to know? What may I be missing? And hopefully this, just listening to this podcast will maybe trigger, you know, some action in the sense of how can I educate myself so that if I encounter it, whether as I'm experiencing it or someone is needing my help, I know what what to do. So I definitely want you to talk about what crisis services does. But then if you'll also maybe just give us three takeaways that sure. you will want our audience to to remember. One of the biggest things that I want folks to remember is that the resources are there. and being a pro-social or proactive bystander means understanding that the resources are there. So that's a key point. Mm -hmm. And here in North Alabama, we're really lucky to have a couple of organizations that yes. are prepared to help individuals experiencing intimate partner violence. The largest, of course, is Crisis Services. And we have three primary programs that we operate to assist those escaping domestic violence, such as the Hope Place Domestic Violence Program. It operates safe, secure emergency housing for individuals and their families. We don't separate families. We take all genders, 19 and older. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a crisis counseling program and a 24-hour helpline that anybody can call. It may You may not quite be ready to ask to get into a shelter, but you may be wanting to just explore a little bit mm -hmm. or talk about something that happened 25 years ago. That number is there. 
at 716-1000, 24 hours a day. And there's 211 information referral to make sure folks getting on their feet have the resources to stay on their feet. Absolutely. As well as providing follow-up counseling in the short and the long term. All of our services are free. We also provide court advocacy. If someone has to go through the court system to get a protection from abuse order, we're going to send somebody in as kind of an emotional support person. We can't offer legal advice, but we can sit with you. And then we also have forensic examination program that is, it's a team of trained registered nurses that are the evidence collection professionals in those cases of severe domestic violence and They have special camera equipment to be able to detect bruising under the skin that you may not see with the naked eye and the like. So that's one major resource. And we work collaboratively with other agencies such as Army Army Community Service and the Family Advocacy Program to make sure that the Redstone-based community has access to those resources as well. We are uh, very grateful for the partnership with Crisis services, they have been beyond helpful and just an an amazing resource. And so for Army Community Service, of course, um, and, and crisis services. So when you seek help you are in charge, mm-hmm. right? So that's something that we definitely want to want to put out there that your opinion, your wants, your hopes, all of that is valued and your experience. And that's at the forefront mm-hmm. of how we work with you, even to the extent that, you know, for a lot of people, I don't know where to start. Right. So mm-hmm. let's just have a conversation whether you're coming to Army Community Service or you're going to Crisis Services of North Alabama, no one is going to tell you what you have to do. Right. Right. Not even what you need to do, but here are your options. And so should you, and and we also understand that your decisions are based on what you know to be best or most appropriate for your safety. Yes. And so let's a lot of times it is let's have a conversation. So my three takeaways would be one that you know for sure that wherever you seek assistance, the pressure is not there to make a decision in that moment. We want to be an outlet for you. We want to be a source of support for you. Have a conversation is is non-judgmental. We also want you to know that it's never too late for help. Mm -hmm. So whether this is your first relationship or situationship experience with it, or, you know, you are 25 years in, 30 years in, that when you make a decision that this is it, this is enough, and I want help and I, I want change and I want support, then it's there for you. And don't don't second guess your right to pursue help or pursue change. Yes. And thirdly, I guess the, the last takeaway would just be for for that support community and bystander, just to really understand that, you know, this is this is a difficult topic to discuss as we recognize like we're humans. Like it's hard to see or understand 
why people behave the way they do or to be willing to, I guess, acknowledge or entertain the idea that this could be happening to someone you know, whether they are the person that's being abused or the person that is the abuser. But either way, right, safety is always priority. Mm -hmm. When you protect, especially being a confidant and being a, a source of support, um, you are also, in essence, protecting not just that person that's being abused, but but every like children, mm -hmm. family, and to an extent, even even the abuser, because you can never ever take for granted how someone may respond to being to feeling fearful or being abused. Yeah. And intervention is always, you know, the best policy in a way that it is safe. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening to us. Should you have any questions, concerns, just want to talk, my Army Community Service, our number is 256-876-5397. And... Um, Addie, if you will just give crisis services number one more time. Yeah, our 24-hour helpline is 256-716-1000. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs>